Digital world, it is that time of year once again. Another year has drawn to a close. 2019 has come by with ferocious velocity. One minute it was January, the next it was June, and now we're about to say hello to 2020. I can't keep up. I don't know about the rest of you, but I need to stop blinking because so much of my life is flashing by and there's nothing I can do to stop it. It's quite terrifying when you sit down and think about it. So we're not going to sit down and think about that. What we're going to do is we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about our favorite movies of 2019. Yes, that's right. I've been promising in most of my episodes this was coming and it is finally time for me to drop it for you. I'm dropping it to you a couple of days earlier than I probably would have because New Year's Eve is fast approaching. I hope everyone has some good plans coming up and I hope they all stay safe and look after themselves and do not die. Now, a couple of parameters. We're going to get right into this list, but I just want to put some clarifications down before we begin. First of all being, this is a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants list. As I go forward and I do top 10 movies for previous years, they're going to be a lot more solid than this list because I've had extra years to see more movies and think about the list and get a more rock-solid idea. This is just, I've seen all the movies and I have to make this list before 2020 hits, so I have to come up with my top 10 and get them out to you. Who knows, I may see other movies in the future that could shake this list up completely. I'll let you in on a secret. I was watching a movie last night that apparently came out this year, which completely threw my whole list into a tailspin. This list could be vastly different in a year, but as of right now, this is just my initial thoughts of how I have enjoyed this year and its movies. And the second, of course, being that I haven't seen everything in the world, and I'm probably not going to get to see everything in the world before 2020 hits. I haven't had a chance to see Jojo Rabbit yet, and I have a feeling once I see Jojo Rabbit, that absolutely could put this list out of whack. But I haven't seen it, and I can't put a movie on a list just because I hear it's good. I have to have gone and seen it for myself. Same with 1917. Australia has not got that movie yet. We will not have it available to us until the first week of January. As much as I'm really excited to see 1917, again, I can't add it to the list if I haven't seen it. And I can't go back in time and put it on the list once I see it and enjoy it. There you are. There's a couple of movies. Just because I haven't seen them doesn't mean they're not good. But I can't put them on the list. Furthermore, this is a completely biased and subjective view. These are movies that don't necessarily win any Academy Awards. They're not movies that everybody in the whole world unanimously agrees that are good movies. This is my list. This is just stuff that I enjoyed, that I've looked back on and gone, yeah, That was a good movie. It's guaranteed, everybody out there, there'll be some bit of disagreement in this list at some point going forward. Don't let that upset you. Don't get too upset. Everyone's allowed to have their own top 10 list. That's what makes the human race so exciting. We're all different people, and it's okay for us to like different things. If we get to the end of this list and I've truly made people unhappy, respond by giving me your own top 10 list. Explain to me why you think certain movies should be on this list. Absolutely. I love to be told about a movie I've not heard about before. I love to be told why I should like a movie more, because it's all part of the positivity that we're pushing here on this channel, and that's why I'm very excited to give you my list of the top 10 movies of 2019. Furthermore, furthermore, I'm limiting this list to just what I've seen theatrically at the movie theaters. If I were allowed to include all the movies I've seen via streaming services and all the direct-to-DVD movies that I've seen, I would not be able to make this list as rock-solid as I have at the moment. There would be too much to consider and my head would explode. I'm going to give a quick shout out though to 
El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie, my favorite of the streaming movies that I've seen this year, and Batman Hush, my favorite of the directed DVD films that I've seen this year. Both excellent movies, a ton of excellent movies on streaming services and directed DVD, but to keep this list fast-paced, quick, and to keep my sanity levels at a general normal pace, we're going to leave those out, and we're going to move forward into my top 10 movies of 2019. Starting off this list, number 10, Ad Astra. Now, I've heard a lot of people say that Ad Astra is boring. I've heard a lot of people say that Ad Astra is just Academy Award bait. I've heard certain people say that Ad Astra was completely misleading in the trailers. And I have to agree with them on that point. I've gone back and looked at the trailers for Ad Astra. And it really makes it look like it is a science fiction action-adventure film in space. And it is really not. Ad Astra is a character piece, and that's probably why I like it so much and why it has made it on this list. As much as I enjoy a good action adventure, a good sci-fi adventure, I also truly love movies that just focus on a person's character, what makes them fundamentally flawed human beings, why they're not the perfect heroes, why they are damaged and distraught. I love that stuff. And that's really what's happening in Ad Astra. Quick summary of these movies as we go forward, but not a complete in-depth recap and review of everyone, because we've got to keep this train moving. Ad Astra tells a story in the far future. Brad Pitt plays an astronaut called Roy McBride. He is emotionally closed off from the rest of the world due to past trauma involving his father. Through a series of events involving sci-fi phenomenon, he is tasked with contacting his father who went on a mission to the other side of the galaxy, to Jupiter, and has not been heard from since. Basically, all the movie is is we follow McBride as he gets on a spaceship and he travels. First he goes to the moon, and then he goes to Mars, and it is just looking at how the situation that McBride is in is contributing to his overall mental health, how he deals with emotions, and also getting a window look into how the world would look if we had established space travel to a certain point. We haven't colonized the whole galaxy a la Star Trek, but we can go to the moon like a flight to New Zealand from Australia. Just that simple, complete with flight attendants, pillows, in-flight movies, the whole shebang. What really makes the movie for me is Brad Pitt's performance. Brad Pitt does a fantastic job as McBride. For a character that's not supposed to show any emotion, he does it extraordinarily well to the point where I feel everything that McBride is feeling, and I feel for the guy, even though he's not returning that emotion to me. It's through his simple facial expressions that you really get a lot of the story, and it is through simple reaction shots and his little moments where he has to do psych evaluations where he talks to a computer about how he's feeling that is just intriguing to watch. But also, as I said, because it's sci-fi, the film is expertly shot to a point where you could almost believe that this movie was shot in outer space. It follows all the laws of science fiction, to my understanding at least, of how space works. Seeing the moon, seeing Mars, seeing people working on space stations, seeing people firing off in their rocket ships, just looks incredible and completely believable. I've heard Ad Astra compared to movies like Apocalypse Now in terms of its character moments and psychological trauma, and I would concur, absolutely. And I would really stress to people that, yes, this isn't an action movie, 
that's designed to see Brad Pitt fight aliens in space or shoot across the galaxy at 100 miles an hour. This is a thinking piece. It requires you to settle in and pay attention, so it is not for everyone, and I completely understand that. If you were misled into believing that this film was more than what it was, I'm sorry to hear that. But I went into this movie kind of having an idea of what I was in for, but still blown away with the performance and the shots and everything that was going on. And that's why Ad Astra is number 10. Number 9, I love a good musical, love a good musical, and that's why we have Rocketman. Now, I am very familiar with Elton John's songs, not to a huge point, I couldn't list every single song that Elton John has ever done, but I'm familiar with the big ones, the Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Saturday Night's Alright for Fighting, and of course, Crocodile Rock. So I was intrigued to go and see this look into Elton John's life. I was also excited to see it because it was directed by the person who took over as director for Brian Singer for Bohemian Rhapsody. And if you listen to my top 10 movies of 2018, you will recall that Bohemian Rhapsody was quite high on that list. Rocketman is certainly more of a musical production than Bohemian Rhapsody. It treats it like a musical stage show, which is absolutely delightful to watch. Everybody breaks into songs that obviously wouldn't happen in real life, dance numbers too, but you get swept up in the emotion because Elton John's songs were always so emotionally powerful and he had such a recognisable voice and swagger that made him a joy to experience. Elton John is played by Taron Egerton in one of the most impressive transformations of an actor to a real-life person that I've ever seen. Much like Rami Malek as Freddie Mercury, Taron Egerton is so engrossed in the role of Elton John that it's hard to tell where he ends and Mr. John begins. He sounds incredible when he is singing Elton John's songs, and he looks the part. It's insane. It's incredible. I believe, looking into the production of this movie, Elton John was so impressed with Taron Egerton's performance as well. And that's great. If the person you're pretending to be thinks that you are them, you've done a successful job. I'm really enjoying Taron Egerton's rise through the movies that he is portraying in Hollywood, starting off with my first experience with him with Kingsman, The Secret Service. I am always excited to see him in a movie, and I can't wait to see more of Taron Egerton as we move forward. Furthermore, what these musicals have taught me, especially with Bohemian Rhapsody, but now also with Rocketman, is just how stressful and messed up the lives of these musicians were. You see Sir Elton John go through tremendous hardships and ordeals in this movie, whether it's drugs, coming out as a homosexual, no love from his parents, his mother or his father, to deal with all that stuff and then go out on stage and still present such a, a vibrant, wacky, stage persona is mind-boggling it's impressive on so many levels and it really makes you think from the moment you go from one point where you're bopping along to Elton John's songs and you're having a great time to a serious moment where he's sitting on a couch and he's contemplating whether it's time to kill himself your emotions are all over the place in such a strategically woven and well done way and of course it is spectacularly shot the musical numbers look great but also the use of camera work in detailing what Elton John is thinking, moving from one song piece to another, the lighting and effects from certain musical productions. There's one scene where Taron Egerton is singing underwater. That's impressive. That's hard to pull off. I imagine he didn't do it in real life, but you believe it watching the movie, so that's pretty cool. So hands down to the director, Dexter Fletcher. I can't believe I didn't say his name earlier. Maybe I did. I'm certainly not going back to have a look. But Dexter Fletcher, you are an incredible director. Well done with Bohemian Rhapsody. And once again, well done with Rocket Man, number nine. 
Number eight, you're probably familiar with if you've been listening to my channel and got a review of it a couple months ago, Frozen 2. As I said, I love Frozen 2. It is a fantastic sequel to Frozen 1, but it is also impressive in its own right as its own movie. It was a fun story where Elsa and her friends had to go on a journey to discover the origin of a voice she hears in the distance and coming across all sorts of situations involving their past with their parents, dealing with the relationships with each other along the way, Elsa and Anna, Anna and Kristoff. Olaf, Olaf was a surprise hit for me in that movie, as you will recall. Josh Gad did a brilliant job making him extremely funny to a point where he went from being a character I tolerated to a character I was itching to see more of as the film progressed. Showing how far animation has come in the time since 2013, when the first Frozen came out, movie looks so unbelievably real that it is mind-boggling. The scene where Elsa has to run across the ocean, that water looks like real water. It is unbelievable. Incredible production, well done. And of course, Sucker for Songs, all the songs in the movie I love with all my heart. Into the Unknown, Lost in the Woods, Show Yourself. Fantastic songs. All of them are now downloaded on my Spotify tracklist, and I listen to them as often as I can. And I know my friends do the same. So that's awesome. Well done to the song makers for Frozen 2. You did a spectacular job. My hat's off to all the voice actors in here as well, besides Josh Gad and Dina Menzel, Kristen Bell, Sterling K. Brown, Evan, Rachel Wood, all did tremendous jobs bringing their characters to life. I like Frozen 2 way more than Frozen, which is surprising and probably controversial. I can rewatch that movie over and over again. One of the best animated movies I've ever seen. Frozen 2, number 8. Coming in at number 7, an incredibly depressing but incredibly intriguing and gripping character piece like Ad Astra, but of course coming from the comic world, we had Joker. I didn't get to do a Joker review because I started my podcast right after the movie had come out and I'd seen it, but I love Joker with all my heart. I was worried going into it because the director is Todd Phillips, who as we know directed the Hangover trilogy. I wasn't sure. With the way the movie was being built up with trailers and promotional, they were trying to let you know that this movie was going to be a character drama in the vein of Taxi Driver and the King of Comedy. And I was worried in the hands of the Hangover guy, he would try it, but it wouldn't come off as strong as we wanted. Well, boy, I was wrong. So I apologize to Todd Phillips and to all the people that worked on Joker. From the moment this movie starts, you are hooked. You can't look away at the trials and turmoil of Arthur Fleck, who is just this average guy. He's definitely a creep. He's definitely a strange guy. He's not your average Joe. You know, he's trying his best to make it through the world, and he just gets beaten down over and over again, whether it's dickheads he encounters on the street, jerks he works with, the weird messed up relationship we have with his mother, idolizing people on TV who don't return that feeling back to him, or mock him, as it were, and just seeing this transformation Arthur goes through as he fracturing his psyche to the point where he becomes the maniacal, chaos-loving Joker that we're sort of familiar with in the comics, but this movie really makes the Joker its own thing to a point where you could imagine a person like the Joker could exist in today's society, which is absolutely horrifying when you think about it. The reason the character of Arthur Fleck comes across so strongly is, of course, the performance by its main lead, 
Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix always puts 10 out of 10 into every role he's ever portrayed. When I see a movie and it's headlined by Joaquin Phoenix, and it's not a huge blockbustery film, I know I'm in for a treat, especially just his performance. If you've never seen a movie called Her, I would guarantee that is the perfect example of a Joaquin Phoenix production. But we're sticking with Joker at the moment. The way he transformed into this character in terms of his mannerisms, his laugh, his facial expressions, it's incredible and also creepy. I don't think anyone else could have pulled off the Joker performance the way that Joaquin Phoenix did. He absolutely made the movie for me. I love that these comic book movies are pulling away from just being your standard popcorn blockbuster action films. Don't get me wrong, I love them with all my heart, and I can't wait to see a whole bunch of them next year and the year after and the year after that. But with movies like Joker for DC and Logan for Marvel, you can really see that these characters have the ability to be in serious character dramas that can make you cry if you're really emotional. I can't wait to see more of them. I hope we get more of them. But for now, if it's just Joker, you did a good job. Todd Phillips, Joaquin Phoenix, Joker. Number seven. Pulling into the station at number six. Completely biased list, I told you. But it's Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Now, I have a message for all the people out there that see that a Godzilla movie is coming out and are going to get on their high horse and go, A Godzilla movie is stupid. It's all about stupid dinosaurs breathing fire at other people. There's nothing worth seeing in it. I'm going to let you in on a little secret, people who say that. Of course it is. Of course it is. It absolutely is a movie like that. And that's why people are going to see it, because that's what they want to get out of the movie. I went into Godzilla, King of the Monsters, wanting just monsters wailing on each other, and I got it, and I was so pleased with the result that I knew watching it going, this is definitely going to stay on my top 10 list of 2019, regardless of what else I see, because it promised me it would give me something, and it delivered. The movie looks incredible in bringing Godzilla and all his friends to life. Godzilla, King Ghidorah, Rodan, Mothra. These are all giant CGI monsters that look pretty good, especially when they're fighting. There's a scene where Rodan takes out some fighter pilots. Looks incredible with the explosions and the way Rodan moves. Insane. And also a scene where Godzilla soaks up nuclear radiation. Nukezilla, I believe he was christened by one of my friends, and that looks insane. It's great. Of course, being a movie with giant monsters, they do like to put in the human characters, the human element, something for us to relate to, which, you know, I don't really agree that you need. I can relate to Godzilla. I feel like he and I would get along quite well. But for the most part, the humans that are in this movie are brought in just to move the story along, and they do it competently. Millie Bobby Brown is caught up between all these monsters, and the way she handles it is fantastic. And also we get Ken Watanabe back from the old Godzilla 2014 movie as Godzilla's pretty much advocate and best friend. And one special shout out to Bradley Whitford, who delivers the funny and iconic line, Oh my God, Zilla. Depending who you are, you hate that line or you laughed at that line for 20 minutes. I'm in the latter. Godzilla is pure escapism fun. Do not go into this movie with your head held high going, ooh. We get it, but that's why we're watching Godzilla King of the Monsters. We want that silly schlock action. We want that CGI fire hurled at other monsters. That's what we're there for. That's what we want. Godzilla King of the Monsters delivered that for me. Number six. Number five, we are at the halfway point. 
And of course, with any spliced in later list, we got to start talking about our Marvel movies. Spider-Man, Far From Home. Spider-Man's moved around on this list a lot for me. It's hard, not Spidey's fault, but there have been so many Spider-Man films. And considering how great Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse was last year, it had a bar to meet not on its own, not just to do with Into the Spider-Verse, but also in terms of the next step in the MCU, where it had left off after earlier in the year's previous film. Tom Holland once again is back as Peter Parker, Spider-Man. He's on a class trip with his friends. They're just going around Europe. All he wants to do is confess his love to a fellow classmate, MJ. But Nick Fury shows up and tries to get him involved in a situation that's threatening the world involving elemental monsters. In order to protect the world, he needs to team up with a new hero, Quentin Beck, Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Peter is dealing with a loss of his own and is starting to wonder whether he needs to be Spider-Man if Spider-Man is good enough to be a worldwide hero rather than just your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And of course, being so firmly stuck in the MCU at this point, you get all your favorites popping up at some point. Happy Hogan, Aunt May, Ned, Maria Hill. Now, the reason this movie worked for me is, of course, Tom Holland's performance as Spider-Man. He is a perfect embodiment of Peter Parker as this poor kid who's just trying to live his everyday life, but he keeps getting caught up in all these superhero adventures. I enjoy taking him out of New York and having him deal with European culture and adventures and things like that. But what really made the movie for me was Jake Gyllenhaal's performance as Mysterio. I was very excited for Jake Gyllenhaal to be in the MCU once he was announced as playing Mysterio. Gyllenhaal is one of my favorite actors. His performance as Mysterio was great. He was lovable when he needed to be. He was serious when he needed to be. He served as a mentor to Peter in a way other characters had before. And it was great to see him dressed up in the full Mysterio outfit, complete with cape and bobblehead and everything. I also really enjoyed Zendaya as Peter's love interest MJ. She got a lot more to do in this movie than she did in Spider-Man Homecoming. And of course, it's always great to see Samuel L. Jackson back as Nick Fury, whether he's grumpy at Peter, grumpy at Mysterio, grumpy at the world. He is a delightful grump, and it is always a good time to see him. Far From Home had the difficult task of showing that the MCU can continue after the big Avengers conclusions that we had earlier in the year. And I can honestly say I am excited to see what they do next. I feel like if they handle these movies in the most competent way, like they did with Far From Home, we are going to get some good stories going forward. At this point, unless it really, really stumbles at the finish line, a Spider-Man movie is always going to find its way into my top 10 movies. Far From Home did not disappoint, delivered everything I wanted it to. Tom Holland, Jake Gyllenhaal, fantastic cast. Number 5. Coming in at number 4, coincidentally a number 4 film, and a film that I honestly expected to hate, is Toy Story 4. Now I was one of those people that was adamant that there should not be any more Toy Story movies. We had an exceptional and delightful and emotional conclusion with Toy Story 3. Why do we need to keep milking this cash cow and create another film. Obviously, in my opinion, it was just to bring in more money for Disney. And while maybe that was the intention, what we actually got was a lovely epilogue to the Toy Story world. Basically, in this film, all the toys are moving on with their new owner, Bonnie. Woody is having trouble finding his place in her world. He doesn't have the connection with her that he had with Andy, but he's desperate to still fulfill his need as a toy that's there for their owner. For a series of events, they find themselves at a carnival. Woody encounters Bo Peep, who he has not seen in many years. And there's a new character called Forky. 
who was literally a fork with rubber bands and things that was made by Bonnie, who was somehow brought to life. And it's Woody dealing with Forky's wild shenanigans, also dealing with his feelings for Bo Peep and where he matters in the world. This is an absolutely incredible piece for Woody. Tom Hanks once again kills it, bringing Woody's voice to life. But it is really good seeing your purpose in life once you feel like your main task is completed. If Toy Story 3 was sad for parents who were sending their kids off to college, Toy Story 4 is sad for parents because parents then have to decide, what do I do now? What's my purpose? Do I move on with my life? Do I do the same thing again? What do I do? Furthermore, the animation in here, if I was gushing over how Frozen 2 is an animation spectacular, Toy Story 4 just looks absolutely phenomenal. There's one shot with a cat, which shows just how far Toy Story has come since that first Toy Story, and that horrifying dog creature CGI thing. Toy Story 4 introduces a lot of new characters, but unlike other films, it manages to ingrate these characters successfully into the story, rather than just being there with a purpose to sell toys later on. You get Ducky and Bunny in a comedic masterpiece portrayal by Key and Peel. Combat Carl, voiced by Carl Weathers. And of course, Duke Kaboom, a delightful Keanu Reeves role, with Keanu Reeves being the most Keanu that he's ever been in an animated film. Toy Story 4 was such a surprise. Toy Story 4 deserved its spot on this list just for proving that it was needed for the Toy Story story. Number 4. Coming in at number 3. Finally, a movie that's not a sequel or a reboot or a requel or a sequel or a reboot or anything like that. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'd love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I love Quentin Tarantino films. Tarantino has a way of directing films that look incredible, and he has a way of creating conversations that can hold you just watching two people talk in a room. And he has a way of building tension, so you feel so uncomfortable, but you can't look away from the screen because about what's going to happen next. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt as Rick Dalton, an actor, and Cliff Booth, his stuntman. And we also have Margot Robbie as Sharon Tate. If you're unfamiliar with Sharon Tate, I will say that what happened in real life was that she was the victim of a horrific murder. And I feel like you kind of need to know that going into this movie just so you get who Sharon Tate is and why we should feel uncomfortable or worried in certain scenes. But that's the most I'll spoil about real life in this movie, I guess. Dalton is a washed-up actor. He's desperately trying to prove that he still has what it needs to survive in Hollywood in the 1960s. Cliff is just your aloof friend. He just has his friends back. And he's also just going through life, just seeing what things throw at him, not taking things too seriously. The chemistry between DiCaprio and Pitt is fantastic. I would love to see more movies with them together. But really, seeing DiCaprio embody Dalton is truly mesmerizing. There's one scene where he's done a take on a movie it hasn't gone particularly well for him so he goes back to his trailer and he flips out and there was some nervous laughter in my cinema which I think was unwarranted what you were really watching was someone having a bit of a mental breakdown in front of you and then pulling themselves back from the brink DiCaprio never looks like he's acting he always looks like this you've caught him being this person on set essentially or you've caught this person in real life it was absolutely a treat to watch him in this movie as well as Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. But why I love this movie so much is because I love movies, and I love the idea of Hollywood. I would never move to Hollywood. I don't think I can make it there. I've been to Hollywood on brief trips, and I did like what I saw there. 
But Hollywood in the 60s, the golden age of cinema, where things are finally kicking off in terms of movies everywhere. You've got your westerns, your spaghetti westerns, your police procedurals, stunt movies, action films. Hollywood becoming the film extravaganza that we now see today. Plus, you get all the cars, the 60s looks and feel. And from what I can tell watching this movie, these sets were painstakingly built by Tarantino and co. It's not CGI or anything. They recreated a street in Hollywood and had Brad Pitt drive down it. It is a long movie. It is not like other Tarantino films in terms of the action is not over the top all the time. When the action does kick off, though, it's horrifyingly awesome. So don't go into this movie expecting a Kill Bill or an Inglorious Bastards because you aren't going to get it. But really, give this movie a chance. Settle in for an experience. This movie as well jumped around a lot on my list, but I feel like it deserves to be number three because of my love for it. So yes, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, number three. Number two, a delightful action film that just keeps getting better and better with every installment they do. John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. Parabellum is from a quote that apparently means, if you want peace, you must prepare for war. And boy, does that carry into this film. If you haven't seen any of the John Wick films, there's not too much to it to explain it. Essentially, Keanu Reeves plays John Wick, who was a former assassin for a series of horrifying events. He's now back in the assassin world. And for John Wick Chapter 3, a bounty has been put on his head, and all he has to do is survive. I believe looking at these John Wick films, these three films have really overtaken up about a week in his life, which is mind-boggling. And the world that John Wick lives in, that they've set up in these movies, is just mesmerizing. The assassin world, the code of honor, the hotel, the wacky characters that John Wick encounters in these films. It's just incredible. But what really makes this film so good is the goddamn action. It's over the top, it's bloody, it's non-stop, it keeps going, and it is just a joy to watch. What makes Wick such a unique hero, unlike other film characters like James Bond or Jason Bourne, John Wick gets hurt, he gets punched, he gets kicked, he gets stabbed, and he keeps coming, but he doesn't keep coming like an unstoppable machine that hasn't been hurt. You, you feel every punch that he gets, and he feels every punch that he gets, and you watch him still struggle to get back up and keep going and keep fighting and just power through. It is a delight to watch. Keanu Reeves is John Wick. I don't think anyone else could be John Wick. I'm not saying Keanu Reeves can't act. The man can act, but he has a certain range that when he's allowed to do it is just top-notch. He had it as Neo in The Matrix, and he's got it again for John Wick. But also the characters around him, Ian McShane is his hotel-owning friend, Mark Dacascos as his assassin rival, Halle Berry as a pissed-off former assassin lover person. Wasn't quite sure what their relationship was, but I knew she hated him, that's for sure. By the time the movie's over, you know that there's more John Wick coming, and you just can't wait to see what he does next. John Wick, Chapter 3, Number 2. Here we are, we're up to our number one film of 2019. I'm pretty sure most of you can guess what it is. But once again, as always, I'd like to just quickly run through a couple of honourable mentions. They are The Kid Who Would Be King, a fun spin on the King Arthur myth where a kid gets Excalibur, a delightful little film. The Lego Movie 2, the second part, the long-awaited reunion with Emmett and co in delightful comedy and great songs. How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, the dragon movies have always killed it in terms of animation and story and the conclusion to that story did not disappoint. Captain Marvel, MCU, great film. 
Brie Larson is a delightful Carol Danvers, and her interacting with a young Nick Fury was great to see. Dumbo, a surprise new addition to the honourable mentions. I honestly think it's the best of the Disney remakes. I don't remember watching too much of Dumbo as a kid, which might be why I like this one so much. But in terms of story, it was a delight to watch. And that Dumbo is so cute. Oh my god. Shazam, a surprising comedy film from the DC Universe. Zachary Levi kills it as our hero Shazam. Hellboy, hated it at first. Couldn't understand why such a movie existed, but over time I've appreciated it in the same way I appreciate Godzilla. It knows what it is, and I have a feeling it's going to be a cult classic one day. Detective Pikachu, love Pokemon. It was great to see Pokemon in live action finally. Ryan Reynolds is a delightful Detective Pikachu. Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. The Fast and Furious movies just keep coming, but my two favourite characters, Hobbs and Shaw, their spin-off movie, was a delight. Terminator, Dark Fate, doesn't matter what anyone else says, I had a good time with this movie. I enjoyed Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Mackenzie Davis in this great film. Jumanji, The Next Level, my favourite comedic actors running around trying to survive Jumanji, Kevin Hart and Jack Black made the movie for me. And finally, it needs to be mentioned, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Whether I'm unhappy with how the story ended and the way it was produced, it's still a Star Wars movie. I had a great time at the cinema watching it. I can't imagine not enjoying a Star Wars movie, and that's why it's on my honourable mentions. But of course, our number one film of 2019, I knew it when I was before I saw it, I knew it while I was watching it, and I've known it since I've watched it, Avengers Endgame. Infinity War set up such a strong place for Endgame to pick up, but what was great about this movie was that it focused on our original six Avengers that we'd first met back when the original Avengers debuted in 2012 and in their own standalone movies. Seeing Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, Thor, Black Widow, Hawkeye, and a few other assorted heroes come together to try and rebound back from the devastating situation that the big bad Thanos had left them at the end of the last movie was great, where Infinity War was all about action and spectacle and bringing all of these superheroes together for big fights. This was a more quiet, somber affair, focusing on the relationships and emotional status of these characters. It took the movie in a direction we kind of expected, but it was sort of a love letter back to all the previous MCU movies that had come before, leading, of course, to a fantastic, final, epic confrontation involving all sorts of characters from across the last 21 Marvel Cinematic Universe films. I was worried endings are always rough for movies. I was worried they weren't going to stick the landing. In terms of ending this chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it is the perfect ending that I could have wanted. Seeing all the superheroes coming together at certain points in the movie, I was filled with such glee. I love Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. I was excited to see him again. Endgame is three hours, but it's worth every minute. I go back and watch that movie, and I cannot decide where I would cut something out. It's emotional. It's exciting. It's action-packed. It's funny. Marvel never lets up in its comedy. It always knows exactly where to put it. If, God forbidding, the MCU movies take a nosedive after this in terms of quality, I can at least always look back and say, yeah, Avengers Endgame, fantastic movie, well shot, well acted, CGI top-notch, and a fantastic ending to a story that has taken up so much of my life. Avengers Endgame, no surprise, number one. There we are, our top ten movies of 2019. I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you have heard some movies on here that you liked. I hope there's some movies on here that have surprised you to a point you're going to go watch them. If you're unhappy, I'm sorry. Again, this is a bias list, and if you want to let me know what movies I should have included, feel free to let me know. But it has been fun since I launched this Spliced In Later podcast in October. It's been fun reviewing movies, talking about movies, 
and hammering out these top 10 lists or top 12 if you've heard my Christmas list. And I look forward to 2020. It's going to be interesting starting the year with this podcast. Who knows where we'll be this time next year, but I'm excited to get there and I'm excited and hopeful that you will continue this journey with me. You've been spliced in later. Have a wonderful New Year's, everybody. Be safe, be kind, be lovely. Adios, muchachos. I'll catch you next time.